Welcome to the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider, the podcast where we pull back the curtain and speak to the brains behind sales and marketing activity that has delivered real results. Get inspired and get actionable ideas by hearing what they did and how they did it. Brought to you by me, Ben Rose, along with Gorilla Technology. Welcome to another episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider, supported by product partner 40 Thieves Nutbutters. I'm your host, Ben Rose, and today we're speaking to Adman, Contrarian, and Comms Council CEO, Simon Lendrum. Simon's a marketing services expert, having spent his career advising many of the world's biggest brands in New Zealand, Australia, the UK, and Europe. He started his career at BMP DDB London, now known as Adam and Eve DDB, where he says he had the privilege of being surrounded by and learning from some of the best advertising minds of all time. After nearly a decade learning his account service and business craft, Simon moved to New Zealand in 2004, where he spent six years at Ogilvy before joining J. Walter Thompson as Managing Director. After nine years there, Simon spent the COVID years as a management consultant before joining the Commercial Communications Council as CEO in January of this year. Always passionate about the advertising industry, Simon was a past president of the Comms Council, leading the board, and has been convener of judges across both the EFI and Beacons Awards. Now he's committed to advancing the reputation of the advertising and communications industry and supporting creative, media, and communications agencies in their work. So that's enough from me. Let's hear from Simon. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, Simon, you've spent years in the ad industry. What attracted you to it in the first place, and what's kept you involved? Going back in time... uh, what attracted me uh, was serendipity, really. So I was at university in my final year of a philosophy degree, which uh, my father had kindly pointed out was probably not a uh, sensible career-enhancing <laughs> move. Um, yeah. But I kind of figured if you're going to be a student and play being a student, you may as well go full tilt and, mm-hmm. and be the pretentious uh, cigarette and coffee-smoking, uh, coffee-smoking, cigarette-smoking and coffee-drinking um, student uh, of philosophy. Um, and, and one by one, my friends uh, came back and, and sort of announced they'd found their, their starting job in London or were moving on to medical school or the like. Right. Uh, and a little bit of panic set in. So I went down to the Career Centre um, at the university. And, uh, and this dates uh, the story, really, because then I saw a box file um, on the top shelf um, uh, alongside accountancy. It was advertising and there was a VHS cassette in there, which um, immediately uh, sort of suited my short attention span. So I, I picked that out and, and put it in the machine. And it was a, it was a reel from Abbott Mead Vickers, uh, and it right. had just some classic Volvo ads and uh, Pirelli tyres, and, uh, you know, then I picked up the brochure that was sitting next to it, and suddenly this world appeared to me as, as a potential career, which, which, of course, I had no idea about. I'd never thought Mm. Uh, about what industry lay behind all of all of those ads that that I saw in my daily life, and I, you know that's still true today. That's still one of um, one of our biggest challenges is to raise awareness uh, amongst all of the wonderful talent that's out there for the industry uh, that could be uh, you know the future stars of the industry, and just make them aware that we exist. Uh, and so. One of the one of the major projects that we're focused on at Comms Council at the moment is is building an employment brand mm-hmm. uh, that raises awareness, you know, at high school level, uh, but also then helps people understand the pathways they might take uh, to to finally arrive at one of the what are now 
far more career options within the industry than um, than historically there ever was. You know, it used to be account service, media exec, or creative. Now, now within that, there's an abundance of different uh, career options. You know, whether you're into coding or um, you know science-based uh, activities or or still sort of creativity and, and art. So uh, we're in the process of building that platform, taking that out uh, to schools, to universities, to pathway organisations, um, and, and also within that addressing what has been historically underrepresented groups um, so that we're fully representative of New Zealand. But, but the core challenge has been the same since I joined the industry, which is making people aware that there's a, a, you know, a wonderful career opportunity um, that lies behind all the messaging that you see every day. So, so first of all, lucky you didn't open the accountancy box file. Um, but when you decided you wanted to get into this world, you saw these ads, you thought, That's, that looks really interesting. What then are the next steps and what role did you end up doing? Well, the next steps then were um, that, uh, you know, agencies would come and do, come and visit universities and um, do talks and presentations yeah and then it was the classic sort of uh, what was always called the milk round um, process of, of joining companies which was you would send off an application which was you know uh, tailored to every individual agency and some were quite straightforward some um, some were sort of you know designed to sort of test your creativity before you'd even um, entered the building uh, and that led to um, I'd like to say an abundance of interviews, um, mm-hmm. but it led to one. Um, only, need, only takes one, right? Uh, it only took one, um, which was very fortunate because I only, uh, only got one shot at it. Uh, and I got an interview with, uh, with BMP, uh, and then um, that led to a final day where all the candidates came together and um, were put through our paces and we did workshops and we did presentations um, and uh, we ended up up till midnight and um and anyway I, I you know the following week I, I got offered the the role um and uh it was a fairly traditional process um in terms of graduate opportunities that's that's the same now you know um the larger agencies run their own recruitment programs comms council runs a recruitment program annually uh again to um to find uh, as much talent as we can and to match make them with with our member agencies so, so why should someone choose this industry? What, what have you liked about it over the years? What's it given you as an individual? I think it's, I th- I think it's such a wonderful industry for anyone with a curious mind. I think it's an utter privilege uh, to, to be able to work with clients across multiple categories and multiple industries and to get insight uh, and understanding of what those industries and companies um, are involved in. Uh, and to do so at a rapid pace, mm-hmm. and to do so, you know, in multiple forms each day. So, you, you know, you can you can have uh, been engaged in conversations across five different industries in in a day, um, and and take learnings from each of those that you can apply to your clients in in other industries. So, um, it's it's a wonderful uh, place for curiosity. Uh, it's a wonderful place for creativity naturally uh, but but really it never gets boring when you start with a blank sheet of paper as a team and you and you know and those teams now those teams used to be 
three people, you know, strategist, account service and creative, um, and then fourth would be media. Now that team can be, you know, a dozen different disciplines mm-hmm. um, given the, the, um, the number of uh, channels to reach audiences that exist. But seeing that team, however small or large, go from a blank sheet of paper to a creative solution to a business problem is just immensely rewarding and it never gets old. Uh, so I think that's what keeps uh, people excited about about the industry. Um, and, you know, it really is a sort of ideal combination of detective work, creativity and um, and ultimately accountability as you, as you, you know, you live or die by the results of, of the work. And, and look, one of the most important things there is, is the relationship between the client and the agency. So there are clients who listen to this and there are agency um, people who listen to this. So I'm keen to get your um, your tips and advice for both sides on how to create and foster a, you know, a productive and effective relationship. So let's start, let's start with the client side. What's the, the best way for clients to get the best out of their agency? I, I, th- I think openness uh, and being being really clear about, you know, your area of expertise, which is your business, mm-hmm. you, you will always know it better than external partners. Yeah, and knowing knowing that openness and imparting the right information to those external p- partners enables them to be successful for you. And so, embracing the agency's curiosity, which often sort of you know can can materialize in. In, in what appears to be, you know, naive and dumb questions. And those are, those are to me, the best questions because they're the questions that probably haven't been asked within an organisation because they seem so obvious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and yet when you scratch beneath the surface, they're often the questions that can lead to um, doing things an entirely different way, uncovering a lateral solution to a problem. Because, you know, Rory Sutherland talks... Um, very well in his in his book Alchemy about if if the obvious solutions were if the obvious answers um, were the solutions they'd have already been done. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, it's the um, it's embracing the sort of uh, naivety of an external opinion that sometimes uncovers the best things and and that just requires a, a more open and different mindset, particularly amongst you know. People who in the, in the world today, given how busy everyone is, given how um, you know many things need to be ticked off in the day, often it's the questions that make you stop and pause and think, mm, maybe this maybe this meeting isn't going to go quite as um, smoothly as I'd wanted it to because I want it to be linear and you know productive and tick all the boxes that I went into mm-hmm. it for. And now this question's coming out of left field and throwing us. It's knowing to just pause and give that question time that I think sometimes results in the magic. Because naivety in, inter- in, in internal meetings is often a negative because they might see that as a, you know, just a general lack of awareness that, w- that was assumed. So it's thinking about that naivety actually as, a, as an asset rather than a, a problem. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a creative tool. That's, that's how you uncover you know, new angles and, and new perspectives and, mm. and potentially new solutions. Mm. So, I, so I think that would be uh, the first thing. I think... Um, I think there's a there's a a question that I would pose for for all marketers, which is for them to look at the organisation they work in or the or the organisation they're they're considering moving to, and interrogating what sort of organisation that is in terms of its relationship with marketing. Does does that organisation 
fully embrace marketing in its holistic sense, you know, baked into uh, to the product, to the, um, you know, the pricing strategy, the um, uh, packaging where, it, where it's relevant, uh, customer experience and promotion, or is it an organization that uses marketing predominantly as a, as a promotion mm-hmm. tool mm-hmm. and an adjunct to everything else? And, you know, the great marketers are the ones that bring it all together and, and, and truly, you know, have always got customers in their mind. I think it's quite, it's quite interesting when you stop and listen to conversations Creative briefings, for example, or, uh, or or general briefings from clients to agencies. You know, how much of this conversation is about a human being? Mm-hmm. You know, if mm-hmm. if if ninety nine percent of it is about the product and the business, and one percent of it is about the human that we're trying to communicate with, then that indicates to me probably that the balance is out of whack. Um, yeah. You know, okay. you, you take a category. And, and by the way, I think that this category has got some of the best marketers um, in, in, in New Zealand uh, operating today. But take a category like electricity, where mm. historically when, when the engineer's voice was too strong um, at, at, the t- at the table with um, marketing and, and advertising, you know, you get wonderful vi- imagery, imagery of, you know, hydroelectric dams and, um, you know, networks of, mm. of electricity mm. flowing through pipes that we're super proud of. Uh, I'm pretty sure it doesn't flow through pipes, but there you go. Um, <laughs> that's how much I know about it. But it's very product centric and, and no wonder, right? We've, the engineers are very proud of all that they've built yep. Uh, yep. and they're, they're proud of their ability to, to deliver that. But you introduce a marketer and they understand that the real benefit of electricity is being able to keep your child warm and cozy and eating a hot meal and sitting in in safety and comfort of a, of a living room that's yep. well heated yep. Yep. Um, and then you've got a chance of emotional connection so from that rambling answer uh, you know I I think just understanding the customer is is the true role of the marketer, and it's the true role, uh, you know, and and then the agency's role is turning that understanding into the best way to communicate to that customer to um, achieve your goals. So, so we'll come on to the agency in a second, but why why is it that you know we, we can all name um, particular organisations that have been through agencies at a rate of knots that have changed agencies um, every every year, every every few months, the issue always seems to be the agency didn't get it, the agency wasn't right. We're talking, you know, about what marketers can do to have positive, effective, hopefully long-lasting relationships with their with their agencies. Why do you think that sort of situation arises? I'm, look, I, I mean, there's, there's a multitude of reasons that could arise. And, you know, it does come down to human beings again at the end of the day. Um, just as the consumers are human beings, so too are the marketing folk and the agency folk. And yep. sometimes you get a chemistry that results in magic and mm. you know and sometimes you don't and that doesn't necessarily mean that either party is uh you know in some way um not great at, at what they do mm. it's just uh the combination isn't great but i th- i think if it's uh if you see that trend happening repeatedly then i suspect there there is a, a lack of alignment in terms of expectations in terms of uh, what 
the agency is is going to deliver to the organisation if the organisation you know keeps spitting them out and and trying again, but also maybe maybe the gap is in the information and and the mode of operation that the organisation is working with that agency for. You know, I th- I think if your if your inclination is to say you don't need that information to be successful for this task, uh, no, I'm not going to give you that because it'll distract you. Um, you know, and holding back information mm-hmm. that's that's potentially a sign that you're you know you're looking for pure execution from an agency, and and where there might be a um, a gap in expectation alignment is where an agency believes it's there. Uh, to solve a broad business problem mm, mm. and a client thinks the agency is there to execute a specific task. Right. Uh, and where where that is not clear is mm, where you mm-hmm. get a lot of confusion because there's nothing wrong with, on occasion, just delivering to a specific task yep. that the marketing team is very clear needs to be executed mm, and mm. we're not looking for a higher order solution and that's okay. Conversely, it's wonderful when everyone's working towards a big nutty problem that yep, you know yep. we have yet to find the solution for. Mm-hmm. If that is then delivered purely uh, and in, interpreted as an executional task, it won't be delivering yep, the yep. job. So it comes down to, ironically, communication. So, so how from the agency side, how do they make sure that they've got the openness of relationship that you're talking about? That there's there's the trust between the two. And also that they're, you know, delivering, they're delivering value. How do they do that? You know, you've run agencies, you've run um, relationships for agencies. What are the, the practical steps that account service people in particular can take to build those those kind of, you know, trusted council relationships? Well, I'll answer that just from a, from personal from my experience, and and you know, by no means was I ever the the best account service person uh, in the world. Uh, you know the. Plenty, plenty of people who are better at it than me. But from my personal experience, trust is built by, a, you know, it's not a specific thing to our industry. Trust is built by doing what you say, mm-hmm. you know, not uh, setting expectations that then you underwhelm on, priding yourself in delivering what you say, mm-hmm. uh, and being candid when you don't know the answer. Now, what what makes that easier is when you're an in environment of psychological safety you know where there is no sense of fear that to concede you don't know the answer would be a weakness mm. would, you know it would expose you as you know perhaps not uh, the right person for the job uh, nobody knows all the answers yeah. and you know I'm, I would certainly rather hear from someone they don't know the answer and then we explore together how we might find the answer than someone you know overconfidently a claiming that they do know the answer and then getting it entirely wrong. Mm. I, I mean, I remember as a suit working for two different clients, one who used to make a joke in every meeting about, you know, might fire you guys, you might lose the business in, ev- in every meeting. So, of course, then you're really nervous about getting it wrong. Yeah. And so you play it really safe and you probably don't deliver the best value. Mm. I remember another client who would, would say things like, look, we haven't, we haven't solved this yet. So if you can, brilliant, let's just have a go at it together. And it does, you do get more discretionary effort out of that relationship? Well, 100%. I mean, you know, you, the, between those two choices, you're, you know, I, every day of the week I'd be gravitating towards the latter. Yeah, yeah. Um, and walking over hot coals for that person. Mm. Um, because you know 
the effort would be appreciated, you know uh, it would be embraced, and you know it's got a chance of landing rather than the former, which just feels like a, a, a sort of mildly abusive power dynamic yeah, going yeah. on. Um, and creativity, you know, needs safety to flourish. You know, I mean, you, classically, you, you look at the creative process and creatives, you know, having to share their ideas, even within an agency, you know, um, having to share an, an idea in its early sort of raw, very uh, fragile state mm. to the group of stakeholders around them within the agency who are already thinking, will the client buy that? Yeah. Will this will you know will this cause some emotional meltdown from mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. uh, fr from the recipient when yeah, they yeah, see yeah, it? Yeah. Will it get through the layers of approval mm. um, at the client? Is it too risky? You know, can can we um, all put ourselves behind this and and push it through? And and those thoughts are often coming, frankly, at the wrong time. You know, so early um, when when the creatives because of the, the time pressures that exist now when the creators haven't even had time to nurture the idea themselves. So so great agencies build that space and, right. and build that ability for um, for those ideas to, to, to grow. And it's challenging because all of all of those other thoughts are legitimate because we're all against a clock, we're all against a, an efficiency challenge. And so that's that's how work, you know, gets gets presented sometimes that does tick the box, will get through without yeah, contention, yeah. is easy to buy, but is not necessarily the, the perfect answer. And the a bit, best of, a, bit of a clash of cultures, though, isn't it? Because because very often on, in, a, in a corporate, in a, on a client side, things are quite linear and processes mm -hmm. are quite waterfall yes. and there are and, and structured and that and that's respected and admired. Whereas the creative process, you know, you could crack an amazing idea in ten minutes, or it might take ten months. Mm -hmm. How do those two? How do you marry those two? Carefully, um, right, right. Uh, and I think it's um, you're you're absolutely right. And it, and it's interesting. I was listening to a um, I was on a diversity works Zoom yesterday, which was which was a wonderful session on neurodiversity. Uh, one of the speakers there w was talking about you know they referenced the Kinevan framework, which uh, splits the domains into ordered and disordered, and right. you know. Uh, obvious or simple versus uh, com complex or chaotic. And from his neurodiverse point of view, he's saying, look, I operate in, in chaos and complexity very, very well. That's, that's my superpower. But the world I'm asked to operate in from a corporate perspective favors the ordered domain. It favors Simplicity, cause and effect that A, share prices increase with certainty. B will always follow A, mm, therefore mm, we can mm. automate that and we'll do that every time yeah. and everyone can can sit neatly within within that. If it's a bit more complicated but still ordered, then we know that we can do analysis and get expertise and we'll yes. get to the right answer. Creativity, true creativity, that is harnessed and and embraced by an audience. Mm sits in the complex domain. You you can only know what will work in the rearview mirror. Yeah. You know, yeah, something yeah. something going viral and being really taken on, you know, way beyond the expectations of the creator mm. is is not a designed process. Yeah. It can't yeah. be by yeah. retrospect because it's exactly the same as the price of wheat on the stock market. Yeah. 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 You know, if 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 it could be designed everyone would do it. Everyone every would time. be a billionaire. Totally. Because There'd be a right answer. Yes. There isn't. There isn't a right answer. You can only see it retrospectively, 
and yet we talk about creativity as if it is in the ordered domain. Mm-hmm. And and you can you know you can build formulas and get you know Disney builds formulas. It it knows what is most likely to be a success and. Then of course you, that's why you have um, you know Fast and the Furious. Why there's seven of them is because <laughs> yeah. uh, they they landed with hindsight lucky for, with the first one, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then they just had to rinse and repeat yeah, be- yeah, yeah. because you know until the until the audience sort of changed behaviour and, and walked away from it. But as soon as you, as soon as you're involving human interaction, mm. it's it's not straightforward and it's not linear, and that that is where the the tension lies. So. Um, I think being open and honest about that is a good thing, and mm. and it's kind of where the language of test and learn has emerged. You know, let's let's dabble in in the truly sort of complex space where we yep. where we don't know what's going to take off, and mm. we don't know what's going to light the imagination of, of the audience. And let's let's not do an all in bet there. Yeah, let's make a small bet, and and you know. It will have exponential returns if it does catch fire, but I think yeah, you've just you've just got to be quite clear what domain you're operating in, mm-hmm. um, because again, it's just a op- massive opportunity for miscommunication. If one one side of that conversation thinks they're getting a simple and therefore absolute answer, yep. that will yep. be sort of fail safe in mm. response in result, and the other side thinks uh, or believes or knows that it's actually firmly up, sitting in the complex domain yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. and we'll know it when we see it <laughs> as a result. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's let's talk about something quite close to your heart now. Let's talk about pitching, about how clients choose a new agency to start a new relationship. So, so first of all, talk me through the traditional approach to pitching and, and what that looks like on the agency side and, and how that may, may or may not work. Okay. Well, let me start by saying there are many caveats to this, mm. but for simplicity, I'm not going to include the caveats, and I'll just um, put out a, a, a preferred position. So, tradition. What has evolved in our industry is, uh, and it, and it's quite unique to our industry that when someone wants to choose an agency mm. uh, and find a partner f- to help them solve their business problems. The tendency is to turn that into a IP-based competition, which is we will develop a business problem and articulate that, and then we will take that to a number of agencies, mm-hmm. be it a creative agency or a media agency mm-hmm. uh, or a communications agency, and say, here is our problem. Please provide us in full the solution, mm-hmm. i.e., please provide the creative idea that will solve our problem, the media strategy that will solve our problem, the full end-to-end customer experience brand uh, repositioning solution uh, to the problem. And we will choose the solution that we think is best, all of which, in the main, is expected to be done for free. Mm-hmm. Now, the, 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 the impact of that, the, the impact of that is sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars of cost in mm. terms of resource and uh, and indeed hard cost to agencies who have to go through the entire process of strategic development, creative development, media development, executional planning, uh, costing, 
that doesn't that doesn't happen easily and swiftly. And, and I suppose it's either existing staff doing it at the expense of other work, or you're bringing in contractors it's, it's, at your cost it's, to do it's it. It's either an opportunity cost from existing resource, or right. you need to um, you know bring in additional staff to do it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so, as I say, in the main, that is then expected to be done for free. Mm. Agencies have participated because if that is the norm and that's the, the way to win business, then uh, to opt out means you, you miss the opportunity to grow your business. Uh, it, there is no, there's no empirical evidence that I can find that demonstrates that a four-month process that follows that path and may have started with give us all your credentials, tell us about what you've done for others, tell us all your business details, how many staff you've got, all those mm-hmm. wonderful RFPs. Yep, yep. Then we'll move to the, um, the IP-based part of the pitch. Yep. Then we'll move to the procurement-based um, negotiation. Yes. And four or five months later, you might have a, an outcome. There's no empirical evidence that that outcome is any better in terms of the actual real-world impact of that new relationship mm. achieved that way versus a far more simplified process, which would be to have a very, very clear understanding of what your business problem is and go and have conversations about that with a few agencies, but don't ask them to give you mm. the mm. solution, not least because the pitch process is artificial in itself, in that when we're working with a client, we're working with a client. Yes. You know, yes. end-to-end throughout the process. That's a constant exchange of information and knowledge and expertise collectively arriving at a solution. A pitch steps back from that because clients, you know, a pitch is on top of the day job for Mm, a client mm, team. mm, mm. Now they've got three or four agencies uh, working on a singular problem. They can't, by definition, give as much time uh, to each of those as they would if they were working through an actual problem with with an external partner. Um, And so, you know, and as a consequence, unsurprisingly, many of those solutions Mm. that have been slaved over in that process never see the light of day. And when the agency is finally appointed, you start again from scratch anyway. So what I would what I advocate is two approaches. One is to challenge yourself. Do you really need to go to a IP based pitch process to be able to choose a partner? Because it's probably a reflection of the sort of need for risk mitigation within an organization rather than uh, a necessity for you to be able to identify if you've done it a more effective way and all you've asked uh, those external companies to do is have conversations with you about your problems and how they might approach that and where they've got examples from work with other companies about how they've approached similar things. You will get an emotional response from those conversations and you will have an instinct as mm. to who you would feel most comfortable mm-hmm. you know, going into battle with um, in the future. Actually taking it the, the next step is, is sort of you know, belt and braces, but it's the agencies in the main who suffer from, from that need for risk mitigation. So in an ideal world, I think there's a better way, uh, which, which doesn't go as far as saying, give us the solution. But I also recognise some companies are inherently risk averse and need that additional stage of IP based. And, and, and some have just set procurement processes in place that you know, the marketing and, team have and, to and, adhere and, to, right? Uh, yeah. And, and 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 the nature of the problem might be such that actually only when you see it can you can mm-hmm. you um, 
can you answer the, um, the challenge? And I respect all of that. But I think then there needs to be acknowledgement that you are, in fact, asking for something that should be paid for. Yeah. And therefore, yeah. you, should, you should be prepared mm. to remunerate participating agencies appropriately. And that might not be at full market rate, mm. but it should be, in my view, more than token. Mm. It should acknowledge that you're actually, um, you know, the impact of what you're asking for on a bunch of human beings is, is not insignificant. Um, and for a sustainable industry collectively, and we look at the industry as clients and agency as, 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 as a total industry, then uh, remuneration needs, needs to come into play. That has two, two effects. One, it sort of firms up the answer to the question, do you really need to go to pitch? Because mm-hmm. yes, we do, and we're putting money behind it, so there's, yep. you know, there's reality to it. Uh, it probably also uh, prevents you doing a shotgun approach and inviting every agency in the land to, uh, to respond. Yep. But it also acknowledges that the potential outcome uh, of having the right partner can be game-changing in terms of business growth. And therefore, it's when you consider the investment of remunerating agencies at that stage, mm. in the context of the potential uh, outcome to your business, it stacks up every day of the week. But it just focuses, I think, uh, the right behaviours and, the, and the, the right approach and ensures that from client side, they're also taking the process very seriously because they're spending money on it and that, you know, that always sharpens the, the mind. And there are clients, by the way, who are doing this already mm-hmm. um, and, and who are remunerating. Uh, or are looking for more efficient ways because they're utterly empathetic and understanding of the impact of um, a full uh, IP-based pitch. But the norm is still heavily weighted in terms of the um, uh, the pitch for free and give us give us the full answer. Uh, so uh, I'm just advocating for a more uh, deliberate and thoughtful approach ac- across the industry to that challenge, not least at a time of particular stress, not just in our industry, but you know, pan industry at, at the moment, talent shortages are immense. Mm-hmm. You know, the, yeah. the border closures have really put the, the pinch on. Yeah. COVID has had an impact in, in terms of people making career choices and, and mm. uh, choosing to, to step out. As a consequence, when teams are short-staffed and smaller, uh, and then a pitch comes into a mm. business that has yeah. to be accommodated on top of paid work yes ultimately there's only it's human beings that can solve that problem and it just puts more stress and pressure on those human beings and then we're into a wellness conversation and we're into a uh, a values conversation around what sort of organization we want to be and do we do we extend those values to organizations that we work with outside of our walls mm. or just to the people within our walls and I would argue they're, they're brittle values if they don't extend to all those that you work with as well as your own team members. Well a lot of what you said actually to me seems to come down to values and empathy and treating you know your agency and your client as peers rather than you know having a having a master servant sort of relationship because it feels like when you know when we, we we've all seen those relationships where they produce amazing work and amazing results. They seem to be working as peers together, 
hence the long-term nature of those relationships. Do you think that, that dynamic is something that is, is changing or would you like to see more of it? Well, look, my, my personal experience is that in the main, you know, most clients do, do think exactly like that. They do, they do uh, you know, want healthy uh, peer-to-peer relationships mm. with, with their agencies. They, uh, they do value uh, those agencies and, and they know that, you know, uh, a, a healthy working relationship results in better outcomes yeah, uh, and, yeah. and, you know, ultimately for them too. Uh, as individuals, because they're um, they're probably bonused on um, on those same outcomes. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't think I you know I don't think it's uh, the majority who who would err to the to the master servant. Mm. But of course it flares up in the same way that of course not every um, not every person in every agency uh, has their best day every day and therefore delivers yeah. um, wonderfully. You know. Th- we live in the real world, yep, yep. Um, so there's going to be plenty of, uh, of examples, and you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure marketers from the other side of the fence would would uh, happily have countless uh, examples of um, uh, less than perfect worlds that that um, you know would be would be used in counter argument to my position. We're all humans, though, right? But if if we all understand that, and if yeah. we all have a, a respect for one another, and if we all are, are genuine in that, then uh, it remains a wonderful world to to operate in, and um, the best work comes from that. Because again, it all ra- uh, it all comes back to uh, the the conditions for creativity to thrive. So on that, um, we've come to the end of our conversation. It's been really interesting. What we always ask our guests to do is leave our listeners with a single tip that they could pick up and go in action in the morning. So what would your tip be? Can I have more than one? I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to answer with more than one and not breathe, and then you, you, have, no, you have no choice. That's fine. Um, uh, the, the first, and it's, it's slightly tangential to what we've talked about, but try not to get too seduced by the next great thing at the expense of doing today's thing well. So, you know, the metaverse will be wonderful. It will be an amazing uh, place to play and it will be an essential place for brands uh, to exist at some point. But it'll still be there when you've done your search strategy. <laughs> and, and you know, I, I think there's this constant uh, desire to be at the, at the front of the wave and the, and the cutting edge uh, of of what's possible, mm-hmm. and I think that's a, a that's a noble ambition. But if we're not doing what, if we're not exploiting the opportunities that exist already right in front of us, yeah. uh, then it's a slightly futile uh, journey. Equally, in the world of data abundance, uh, allegedly, just be really clear about what metrics actually matter to your business. You know, because they're not uniform, and you can collect everything to your heart's content but actually it probably comes down to a few key metrics that should drive everything you do and know what they are and and then align activity to uh, influencing those metrics and in tandem with that just have a look internally about anything that structurally might get in the way of your strategy for example you know KPIs and individual bonuses which often can sit in utter context contradiction to what the um, marketing strategy is. Mm, mm. And 
if individual KPIs and bonuses are heavily weighted to the short term, then that's what the business and organization will focus on. And yet if you've shifted to creating future demand and a long-term strategy, uh, you're not going to get there whilst everyone is individually incentivized to to do that. So I think, you know, whenever you um, have a strategy, you just got to look at all aspects of the organization, not just the obvious ones in terms of what might knock this off course. So three tips, not just the one. I've got five more, but I'll, I'll save those for another day. Simon, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. If you liked it, you can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app for fortnightly episodes. For other great New Zealand podcasts, head over to podcasts.nz. Thanks to our friends at 40 Thieves Nut Butters, listeners to the podcast can get a 20% discount when purchasing online. Just go to 40thieves.co.nz and use the promo code INSIDER20. See you next time.